this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me as always, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, we need to tell everyone right up top here that uh, we're going to be talking some studio tray earphones. Uh, we'll get into it later in the show, but people can go to studiosweden.com and use the promo code DIGMEOUT15 to purchase their studio headphones. We'll talk a little bit more about them later. Jay, it's the last review of 2017, our seventh season. Are you excited? I am. Seven seasons, my goodness. And I can't believe it's taken us seven to get to this record. This should have been in the first season. And this band. it should. Yeah, you're right. It should have. Uh we uh, we've already started on our next year's round of Patreon picks, and uh, actually, I believe Scott, who's returning, Scott Hallgram, uh, has been with us before. Your you came in at right at the edge of December, uh, right before the end of the year. So technically, this is within the uh, the December twelve month uh, Patreon yeah window. You might be the only person that's in in December as opposed to January, uh, when we when we launched our Patreon campaign. I believe I think the last time we did this was Mr. Bungle, and I think at that time you said I was the first, uh, you know, two fifty yeah level patron. And you're so, back again. Yeah. I'm still here. You're still here. You guys have you guys have so much of my money. Not that much. <laughs> well. We're aiming for all of it, but we'll take it 250 <laughs> at a time. So it'll take us a few millennia to get get to all of it. Uh, just tell the audience what album you picked for your Patreon pick. Uh, I picked uh, Living Colors Stain. And, you know, like you guys said, it was just one of those that I thought, um, you know, I, I, like the, the ones I've been, the last one I picked was Jennifer Trinan. And I just feel like, uh, uh, we, there's there's a few big ones that have been missed, and uh, Living Color definitely uh, falls into that category. So I wanted to make sure we hit them. Yeah, it, it, there was a lot of feedback like, I can't believe you guys haven't done this before, blah, blah, blah. And so cool. clearly we had hit on something, with, and, and you had hit on something with this pick. So I, I think it would be silly to ask, Jay, if you've heard of Living Color, because of course you have. <laughs> uh, what? You mean the TV show? Yeah, I know you're a big fan. Big yes, fan. Of course. Of course. And um, we have actually done a, a album connected to Living Color. We did Corey Glover's only solo record. That's right. Oh, that's right. I remember that. Yes, which we are, Jay and I both enjoy uh, some of that record. Not the whole thing, but uh, uh, quite a bit of it. Um, so just briefly, I'm going to give everybody a very brief history of Living Color. They formed in 1984. And then we're active up until 1995. They took a five-year hiatus and then reformed in 2000. They've been together ever since. The It's basically been the core members of Vernon Reed, Corey Glover, and Will Calhoun. 
And then Muzz Skillings was the original bass player, and then he was replaced by Doug Wimbish. Now, there have been some other folks who have filled in um, when somebody's been off. For example, Corey Glover left the band to take a role in, um, I believe it was Jesus Christ Superstar for a year. So they actually had like Doug Pinnock fill in for that time. And then they've had um, other times where they've had a, a drummer fill in for uh, Will Calhoun. Um, they've had uh, some other vocalists who have assisted um, percussionists, those sorts of things. So, but it's basically been those five guys with uh, Doug Wimbish being the um, the bass player of the the second half, I guess you'd say, of the band. He joined on the record that we're going to be talking about. Uh, they have in their catalog. Uh, Six records, Vivid, 1988. 1988 is the one that most people are going to know because it has the single Cult of Personality. And then Time's Up came out in 1990. Stain, which we're reviewing, came out in 1993. Kaleidoscope came out in 2003 after they reformed. The Chair in the Doorway came out in 2009. And then Shade in 2017. Now, regarding Stain, um, this was recorded with Ron St. Germain in... uh, New York and uh, Brookfield, Massachusetts, um, released March of 1993, and it was actually um, out of out of print for a while because they were sued by a band or a member of a band called The Stain, and it was the guy's name is John Stainbrook. He's actually from Toledo, Ohio, and I would suggest you Google him because you'll find out that suing is not something he is um, foreign to. Uh, for, <laughs> and that was brought up in our Patreon comments by uh, Peter Hirsch. Um, it actually hurt this album because they could not post it digitally when it, you know, when the digital services started, and um, they couldn't redo reprints of the album. So it was actually caught up in stuck up in um, the court system for a while. Um, so yeah, that, uh, that hurt this album a little bit. Uh, the band after making this record toured and then when they got back together to start recording, they decided they couldn't focus on a musical direction. So they broke up. So this was the re- last record, even though it was the first with Wimbish, it was the last record for a little while, um, as they, uh, could not find a cohesive sound. And I believe that's when Corey Glover went and made his solo record was when the living color was separated. I want to just throw in one more comment from our Patreon folks. Gavin said, I was so happy you're going to do this review because it's a free hit for me. I've wanted to do this request. So uh, good job, Scott. You just uh, picked off one of Gavin's requests. I know. I, I, I love it when other people pick off my requests. In fact, I, I had almost picked another one. I'd been hoping you guys would. Anyway, yeah. So you're welcome, Gavin. You owe me one. Yeah, there you go. Uh, he said he puts it into the best uh, hard rock heavy albums of the 90s discussion he really liked the heavier change and thought it was a reaction to being the quote-unquote love rears its ugly headband and um felt their message is better understood when they're a little angrier interesting um is gavin's gavin's australian right correct was love rears its ugly head bigger in australia than it was in the united states because i mean i i feel like they're the cult of personality band here 
Yeah, that and Glamour Boys were the two two big singles right. here. So maybe it was. Maybe that maybe that scored better uh, single wise. I don't know. We'll have to get a response from uh, Gavin after he hears this episode. Peter Hirsch also want to mention. He said, "I really like this album and the direction it took, especially with the addition of bass player Doug Wimbish." It's meatier than others, and at the same time, I think it turned a lot of people off to the band. So we'll uh, address those comments. Um, I'll be honest, I have never listened to an entire Living Color album before this. Wow, wow, what? Yeah, I'd listen to, like, the greatest hits. Oh, come on. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I didn't even know they had a greatest hits. They have multiple greatest hits. Hmm. (laughs) Who doesn't? Right. True. Because they have, like, the... You know, the one that came out right after they broke up in the 90s, they have like that one, yeah. the label throughout, because there's four new songs at the time that they had recorded, but they didn't have anything to do with them. So they threw them onto the greatest hits. And then like when they got back together, there's a bunch of it, greatest hits from the 2000s uh, for various labels and because they were on Megaforce and um, they were on. Uh, uh, what was the, what was this label? This was on Megaforce. I believe the last one was on Megaforce. And Kaleidoscope came out on Sanctuary. So there's a bunch of different, you know, opportunities for different labels and collections to come out. So, Jay, let's get into this record. Uh, I should probably go first, I guess, because I'm the least uh, knowledgeable of Living Color. And then I'll, I'll throw it to you guys for reactions. Uh, one thing that I really liked about this record, which um, should kind of be a no-brainer from from my end, is Doug Wimbish. Since I, so I, I realized when I was listening to this record, I'm in the same way that my dad plays golf, but he's not a golfer in the like the way that like a guy who's on the PGA Tour is a golfer. My dad plays golf on the weekends. I'm a, I play bass, but I'm not a bass player. Like when I listen to this, when I listen to Dung Wimbush play bass, I'm like, oh yeah, that guy's a, that guy's a serious badass bass player. Like listening to what he does on this record is amazing. The, what he contributes, the melodies that he contributes yeah. to to pair with both at the same time, he is somehow able to be in melodic um, compliance with both the guitar player and the vocal who are doing two different things. I don't know how he does it. It's amazing. The notes that he plays, um, but he is just phenomenal. And I have to go back and listen to the earlier records. Cause I don't know any comparison to what Muzz Skillings sounded like as a, as a bass player. I only know from, like I said, the singles they were on the greatest hits, but I also checked out the new record and it's, it's still there. I mean, and I know that he's a legendary sort of bass player. He's played with the stones He's played with a whole bunch of major artists and he's a great studio player and whatnot. So um, getting to hear him play uh, was pretty astounding um, throughout this record, just hearing what he was doing and, and the interplay, knowing that this is a, you know, a, basically a, a four piece band, vocal, guitar, bass and drums with some samples thrown in here and there. Um, it was pretty amazing what he was doing um, from basically from the start of the album uh with uh with go away and then ignorance is bliss there's some amazing stuff on the second song and just basically all the way through
Uh, so let me throw it to you, Jay. What was one thing that you really liked about this record? Vernon Reed. Um, yeah. We got to touch on him a little bit in our guitar our guitar gods of the '90s episode. Yeah. Like I threw his name in at the end. Um, wow. I, uh, so I I got this record maybe a year after it came out. I, I got it used. Um, I I owned Vivid. I didn't really like Times Up very much. So um, I had heard some things from this and, and thought it was interesting. So I picked it up um, at the time and, and listened to it quite a bit. Um, I haven't touched it in maybe at least 15 years. I was really taken aback about how incredible the guitar playing was, uh, or is on this record. Um, I knew it was good. I didn't know it was as good now that I've really focused on it and, and sort of, you know, gone through the, the paces of doing a critical review. It, it's, it's incredible. He is able to go from Steve Vai, you know, full on guitar nerd to absolutely creative, like groundbreaking guitar playing and sounds yep. at the flip of the switch, you know, within the same riff or the same solo. It's, you know, he goes from one extreme to the other. Um, yeah. He can also do, you know, bad brains kind of punk stuff. He can do, you know, there's uh, nothingness and a couple other songs in here feature guitar synth, which I don't know if you guys knew what that was, what was going on there, but he's actually using one of those uh, rolling MIDI things on his guitar, which I'd never heard anybody do anything good with other than this record. <laughs> um, you know, he's just, he, it's just amazing. Uh, it is amazing riffs, amazing solos, but in some strange way, both he and Doug Wimbish like don't don't overplay. Like the, the, I don't know how they do it, but it, it's enough that for like a guitar nerd like me who loves the little nuance and pays attention to every detail, I can get off on it. Right. But I don't feel like it ever gets in the way of the song, which is an incredible feat if you think about it. You know, most of the time when um, one of the trappings of being this skill that your instrument is, it's you know can be difficult sometimes to let the song you know be the star and i think uh while th these might not be their most like pop oriented songs i think everything he does is in the service of the song which is pretty remarkable when you when you really break down the amount of, of playing that's going on here and just how innovative it is yeah i just can't say enough about the guitar play on this record it's just phenomenal it is scott how long how long ago had you recently revisited this record um, this is one uh, I like. I mean, I, I, I got it right when it came out, and I probably come back to it every two or three years just to be like, is this still awesome? And yeah, I, I usually come away with, with, with yeah, that it is. And, and you know, I, I just want to agree with you guys. And say, you know, to what Jay was saying about how like they don't overdo it, you know, the, the, the one thing that, that pops to me about this when I kind of think about it critically is like, how well they're able to be so diverse and so layered and detailed and the production definitely and the engineering takes some some credit for this too but they can do all that and it's never in a like too busy way like all the extra samples and like yeah doug wimish's bass pulling up to the melody and then you know vernon reed taking over and still allowing space for cord glover to do his thing it's it's really it it just always works and like that kind of detail is is really impressive to me. 
Now, going back and listening to this record, um, what did you guys think about the lyrical content? Because I was taken aback at like how dark and how, um, I don't know if it's political, but there's a lot of social commentary, starting with Go Away, which is very like antisocial and... Uh, no, not leave it alone and mind your own business. I mean, there's are very angry songs in a lot of way. Um, do you think that that's maybe why this, in terms of this album didn't necessarily chart very well. And um, there's not a, you know, a sunny pop radio single on this record that I can point to that would fit well with the glamor boys or uh, even cult of personality has like, because it's got like a um, you know a big hook to it, um, you know what were your thoughts on on Corey Glover's lyrical content? Um, listening back to it, I mean, I, I think I think it's more the the lack of a of a giant single as to why this 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 didn't uh, you know um, come through as well. Um, I think, but but I do have some some notes lyrically. Go away reminds me of uh, oh, there's a there's a King's X song, and I hate, I hate connecting Living Color to King's X because uh, it's for obvious reasons. Um, but um, but there's a, a song about it's basically uh, I can't even think of the name of it. Um, but uh, Doug Pinnock singing about like oh I've got all these first world problems, and that's that's what that's what Go Away reminds me of. But it also those lyrics also like connect to me in 2017 when I'm like I cannot like handle the news anymore i need everybody yeah. to just go <laughs> <laughs> right uh, and i think and, and and then i i wonder about about um lyrically my note uh, my main lyric notice is with regards to buy which is probably the most single i think it's the like catchiest hookiest song on there and this mm-hmm. is 1995 right so this seems very i don't know listening to the lyrics now i wonder is it it, it, it always felt to me at the time as a celebration of bisexuality. And I'm not quite sure it is that I still think it is. And even if it is, I wonder now if it's like, you know, with 22 years in between then and now, is it, is it reductive of bisexuality? I don't know. You know? Yeah. Um, th- but, but that's just my, th- my big note on lyrically is like bi is really quite, uh, clever, but also, uh, it was forward for 1995, but it might be a little bit regressive for 2017. So, Jay, we're going to take a minute here to talk about our, I guess, our first full week with the new Studio Tray headphones, which people can go to studiosweden.com. That's S-U-D-I-O Sweden.com to um, take a look at what we're talking about. We Last episode, we talked a little bit about just getting them 
and checking them out for the first time. Um, we've had some time to actually listen to stuff like this record that we're listening to this week. Mm-hmm. What were some things that you noted when you were listening to uh, the album and just music in general? Yeah, I think the thing that I like about this style of headphone is that um, while they're in ears, you still can hear some ambient noise around you. Mm-hmm. So I I like them because um, sometimes I don't know if you've ever used in ears before, but sometimes they're like so in your head that it doesn't sound natural. Yeah. Where, where these are, they just sound like speakers that are near your ears as opposed to like crammed in your ear canal, if that makes sense. Um, so it just sounds very like open and natural. Um, so definitely, could, you know, got good bass and mids. And then with this uh, this Living Color record that we, we listen to, there's a ton of cool like effects and just yeah. different panning and stuff. And it really pops out. Um, so you get a good, you know, sense of the room space and, and, and whatnot. So, um, enjoying these a lot. Plus I think the, the best thing about them is that you can, I could keep them in all the time. Like they're so light and comfortable, but I can wear them when I'm walking the dog or out doing yard work or whatever. And they're never like, you know, your ears don't get all sweaty or if somebody says something to you, you can actually hear what they're saying and tell yeah. they're talking to you. It's not like you're totally blocked out from the rest of the world. Yeah, and and to piggyback on that, um, so I've been using basically the cheap earbuds that come with your iPhone for years at, while mm-hmm. I sit at my desk at work. So switching to these is really nice because, A, I got rid of the wire because these are Bluetooth. B, they're more comfortable, as you've mentioned. And C, I'm actually able to get up now and go refill my coffee and not have to do anything like i just keep the earbud i just keep the earphones in and i can walk around um there's i i would i don't know what the exact distance is but it's got to be like 12 to 15 feet between where my desk is and where the coffee machine is in the kitchen and uh there's no loss of signal so i just walk over refill my coffee walk back and i haven't had to like touch anything like turn because normally i'd have to like you know pause the music take my earbuds out throw them on the desk walk over start the whole process over again but um and since the volume is right on the little string connecting the two sections if somebody starts talking to me in the break room i can just either mute it or i can just lower the volume but you said the ambient room noise is still present i did notice that as well like you know i sometimes when you have like earbuds in you have to like yank them out because you can't hear what somebody's saying but I can yeah. hear that okay. And I, I really noticed, just the last thing, the bass frequencies were much better yeah. than in the earbuds. Yeah. Something I've always struggled with when using the earbuds is that they sound, the bass always sounds completely different in those than when I would go home and listen to stuff on my computer with better headphones. Right. And I think um, every type of headphone you know, design has a different purpose. So, you know, there's in-ears, there's over-ears, there's on-ears, they're all, and then there's noise canceling. You know, there's a lot of different categories. And it's kind of like picking the right tool for the job. So Mm -hmm. these are really great for those situations where, you know, you're active. I mean, if you, we we don't work out, big surprise. But if you did, I think these would be a great choice. They're wireless, they're super light. 
they're not going to fall out of your ears. If you're going to get sweaty, like those standard, you know, earbuds that come with your phone, they fall out of your ears when you get sweaty. They hurt. Um, these are super comfortable. So, you know, for those times where you want something super convenient, but you still want to have a good sound, they're great. Yeah. Um, can't say enough about them. They're, and the build is really nice. They're just nice headphones. Like you just, they feel like really high quality. So Jay, I want to remind everybody they can go to Twitter and Facebook. Uh, it's twitter.com, facebook.com forward slash studio Sweden or Instagram. It's just studio. And then of course, studiosweden.com. You can utilize our dig me out 15 code uh, for 15% off. You can plug that in. Or if you go to our show notes, there is a direct link that you can utilize that will take you and you can utilize the uh, 15% off of your purchase. And uh, I know I'm already, um, I've got someone lined up for a Christmas gift with uh, a new set of headphones. So um, I'm utilizing that myself because they nice. were telling me, they were telling me about how they, you know, would sit with their iPad and watch movies on Netflix and they hated their headphones because they'd have to pause and take them off after like an hour. And I'm like, I got a solution for you. So I bought them some headphones. Yeah. The wireless is so nice. Once you, once you go wireless with any of these headphones, it's, you can't go back. Yep. <laughs> so. All right. Let's get back into our discussion on living color. I agree, I agree and go away. I, I read it as um, there was a couple lines in there like paid my guilty conscience now go away. Like like I've 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 given my money to a charity or I've kind of done my thing now. This you know this, I, this should all go away now. That be okay and it's not like a token <laughs> um, effort. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of like the hopes and prayers thing. You know, like I, I said, yeah. open some prayers. Like, I, I, shouldn't everything be okay now? Do I actually have to do something? Like, right? What do you mean? Uh, and, and to be writing that, you know, almost 25 years ago is pretty incredible. Uh, with all things considered, you know, um, a song like "Wall," you know, again, like talking about all the divisions that exist in in the world, and those still exist. I mean, we haven't, well, some haven't made any progress, and it's pretty incredible, you know, at that time to be. To go back and listen to something that old and think, like, wow, this sounds like it could have been written, like, yesterday. And well, in this this Little Pig, right, which is about police brutality, Rodney yeah. King, yeah. and it's like, oh, how far we have not come, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, and I, I read by as, um, actually, you know what, that, that would have made a great Prince song. Like, I could tell, oh. like, even musically, that kind of sounds like... yeah. A Prince tune. Um, it would certainly be controversial if it came out now, you know, uh, to, to think again that they wrote this 25 years ago is, is, is pretty amazing. Um, I, I like the I like the line. I need a closet big enough to live in a closet for the whole world to live in. I thought that was, yeah. that was pretty good towards the end of the song. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, there's a couple moments here where the, where the lyrics go a little on the nose, but for the most part, I, I like this space for them. I like them being a little bit angry. I like them being 
um, you know, socially conscious. Um, it, it resonates, and most of it holds up pretty well. That's the only fear when you when you go that direction, right? Is that yeah? Is this going to work twenty years or twenty five years? And I think in a lot of cases, this uh, unfortunately is still relevant. <laughs> I wish we were over it, but we're not. You you mentioned some of the lyrics being a little on the nose. Was there anything or any songs that didn't work for you? Uh, you guys are both familiar with the record. Were there any things that you revisited and you thought, well, I like this before, but it's it's not quite as uh, interesting or it doesn't work for me as well now. I, for me, it's for me, it's hemp. I remember um, listening to that and like reading the lyrics, and um, and it worked. And this this time around, I gave it a whole bunch of chances, and it it was never able uh, to click for me. Which and maybe you know that's an issue that's completely different than it was you know when this when this came out. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wonder if the fact that it didn't work is because it's got that like garbled vocal. And I will say this record sounds different to me on modern audio equipment than I remember it sounding on 1990s audio equipment. And I think this is an example of a record that came out before the compression wars really went full force. So I don't think it's as compressed as modern audio equipment um, expects music to be. But um, for either of those reasons or for the reason I'm not considering hemp doesn't work for me anymore. Well, that's a great point. I'm going to get on a soapbox for a second. So one of the great things about us doing these records is that we get to, I get to spend time with records that were before the like over compressed era. And I can't say enough about how great it is to go get like, go get a, go get a headphone amp, like a $150 headphone amp with tubes and go spend a hundred or so bucks on a pair of decent headphones and then listen to a record like this. And what you'll find is that you'll turn it up as the record goes on and you'll get into it more and more and more and more because the louder you turn it up, the better it sounds. Yeah. And it's so frustrating with modern music. Like some of it's mixed. Okay. But most of it is so compressed that I find myself actually turning it down because it's, it's, it doesn't, you don't get anything out of turning it up louder. All you get is like a headache. Um, so this record, I can't say enough about it. It's a great headphone listen. Um, there's so much going on from a guitar yeah. standpoint. Um, and, and, and some of the effects, I think you touched on it, um, work and some of them don't. So if there's some, to go back to your question, Tim, about what doesn't work on the record or songs that don't work, uh, Sometimes the over, like the voiceover stuff, uh, I, I'm not quite getting, especially uh, what's the song that kind of has a, there's like a fight going on or something, and there's like a person talking over the song. Um, and in the bridge, you hear. Is it Wall? No, it's earlier in the record. Let me see here. I think it's Postman. I was just following orders. Yeah, I think I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it, 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 that's the kind yeah, of stuff postman. where yeah. 25, you know, 20, 25 years later, you're like, ah, this song would be so much better if that stuff wasn't in there. So I think they could use maybe a little bit of more restraint on that kind of stuff. Um, it would have helped. And then the, some of the experimental songs towards the end of the record, um, 
like WTFF and I consider hemp a little experimental, um, maybe aren't as successful or, you know, as good as some of the other material. Um, but that's about it for me in terms of things that didn't work. What about you, Tim? I'll agree with you on, on hemp. That could have been like the hidden track. It, it didn't need to be its own thing. Um, I, one song that bothered me just in terms of its arrangement was mind your own business. Um, I didn't love that jarring, like halftime to double time feel mm. that they were doing. Yeah. Um, I don't like it when any band does that. Really, it just sounds forced to me to make to make that jump without some sort of like transition between the two. song where it just became like I, I just did not like the song the, uh, the one thing that i noticed and i you know he mentioned the, gu- the guitar synths and a lot of that was cool but there was one song and i don't know if it's a synth or a sample but it kept like it made me think about it which took me out of the song it was leave it alone it sounds like they're sampling led zeppelin i have van halen as in my it sounds notes. like cashmere it sounds like cashmere okay um and but I can't tell if they're actually sampling Cashmere or if he's just playing something on his guitar that's a synth that makes you, it sound like. He's are you talking it. about those like string hits in the verse? Yeah. 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 Oh no! Yeah, that's just him playing strings on his guitar, like the synth okay. thing on his guitar. So, but to me, it sounded like he was. They sampled Cashmere, and I was like, I, I didn't know that at the time. So I'm like listening to it. And I'm like, that's a weird sample to throw into this song. Like, why would they be doing that? Just because, and the, like the beat of the song has that like that sort of beat of of the cashmere. Yeah. Of, uh, so I don't know if it was some sort of throwback to that. I don't know what they were. I don't know what they were referencing there. Um, it was. It's not that the song is bad, but it was just kind of distracted me while I was listening to it because I was trying to focus on like what am I hearing? That's funny. I I didn't even occur, that didn't even occur to me. That's funny. I mean, I know exactly the part you're talking about, but I hadn't made the connect cashmere connection. But I guess I can hear it now. Well, I listened to the cashmere a lot when I was in high school. <laughs> so it's ingrained in my head. I don't know what to tell you. You, you watched Fast, Fast Times one too many times. I did. You were, I pulled out a, a, few, a few too many times there. So, <laughs> so this album comes out in 1993. You know, heavy music was kind of at its you know, highest point there. You've got you know, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains... Pearl Jam, Stone Temple Pilots, Nirvana. These are all the biggest bands of like 92, 93. But this album comes out. It does not do well in comparison to those records. And then the band ends up breaking up. Is it because there's not an obvious single? Like to me, the catchiest song is Bye. But I would imagine a lot of radio programmers would be really hesitant to yeah. play that song. Yep. It's not I Kissed a Girl. <laughs> 
you know, it's not a cutesy folk song like that song is. So, um, yeah. or cutesy pop song. So I, I got to think that that's probably what kind of hurt this record is that there's no easy radio signal. Maybe, I don't know, never satisfied because it has a hook to it would be a single. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where you would go if you were trying to push a song at uh, at radio for this band or for this for this particular album. I mean, I think this is a nice second or third signal, but sorry, Jay. No, go ahead. Uh, yeah, that's really all I have. There's nothing yeah. that I think fits as a nice second or third single to kind of draw things out, but um, yeah, not as a first single. Uh, Leave It Alone has a little bit of a cult of personality kind of feel to it, but it's a little too experimental. Like it has some bits in it that are just too odd, I think, um, to 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 really go. I mean, cult of personality is just so straightforward. Um, yeah. It's just so well-crafted and it's just one of those songs where like they nail it um yeah and they and they get in that space a little bit here and there but they go off you know in some different directions um i i love nothingness i've always loved that song i think it was the song i heard from the record that made me want to go get it uh to go pick, find the cd and get it when uh you know a year or so after it came out it was just it's just such a interesting sound like it doesn't sound like anything else at the time or even now i mean it's just such a bizarre sounding song it's very bass driven uh, i really dug i mean the, i talked a lot about the guitar playing but songs like nothingness and wall the bass is such a important part of the what's going on and in, in a lot of ways it's really driving the song um to the point where like if you look if you really listen to wall and you listen to the parts they're playing it's almost like they switched the parts and like Doug Wimbish is playing what you would play on guitar and Vernon Reed is pl is playing what you would play on bass. It's like this really kind of interesting switch of, of roles in terms of who's who's doing the riff and really driving and who's kind of laying back and playing, you know, more on the backbeat. Um, and, and it's that kind of stuff that I think is really what makes this album unique um, and kind of sound like nothing else. Um, I wanted to bring up Corey Glover, because we really we haven't touched on him other than the lyrics in compare in in terms of what what they bring to the band. And um, I was reading some of the reviews for this record when it came out, and Robert Christo, the dean of American rock critics, um, he gave this a positive uh, review, but he mentioned that he said the weak link in the band is Corey Glover, who who sings too well for his own good. And I thought that was an interesting comment because in some ways I think he's right in the sense that Corey Glover is such an amazing vocalist. And if you were to compare him to what would be other hard rock bands of this time, you know, how does he fit in with, first of all, what bands are they touring with? I mean, I don't know. And then I saw them on this tour and I can't remember, but the, you, uh, sorry to interrupt. No, I it's all right. In, I think he fits in with Chris Cornell uh, as far as like singing really well over a, a band like this. But uh, yeah, go ahead. No, I, I just I think that that's an interesting commentary because he's such a ev evolved singer in terms of um, being able to control his dynamics and and just he has so much range 
And in comparison to a lot of, I guess you'd say, more hard rock and metal singers, you know, they don't have this much range. And he obviously has a background in in soul and funk and jazz. And, you know, it's just, it's a completely different ball game. And um, I don't know how this band goes over with, you know, guys who listen to like Pantera or ACDC um, because they're not, I mean, you know, there should be a hard, it's hard rock, but it's also way more experimental and way more diverse than those bands, you know, produce. So I don't know. I don't know if Corey Glover is like the weak link or not. But I, I don't um, think it's the weak link. I, I think he's maybe just too original. I, I definitely think his voice gets a little overshadowed on the record. You know, I think between yeah the bass and the drums that we've talked in length about, um, it's it's hard to stand out from that. You know, so I think he does it with his lyrics on this record, not necessarily his vocals, um, which are fine. I don't think they're ever an issue. There there are a couple points on this record where they do some harmonies. And it, they're very f- brief and fleeting. Man, I wish they did it more. I think there's some choruses on here uh, that could really benefit from just a little more vocal, I don't know, uh, production or yeah. enhancement to really elevate them. But, uh, you know, I, I think Chris Cornell is a good comparison, although vocally... You know, he would go toe-to-toe with whatever was going on in the band. You know, the band was doing something crazy and really over the top, and he would, you know, he would scream over top of that. You know, That's a good point. Cut through it, and you're just like, whoa, yeah. okay. Like, we're in a whole other space now. You know, in the same way, you know, Robert Plant and Zeppelin worked, you know? Yeah. The band is incredible, and all of a sudden you get this singer that just goes right over top of it. It's like, oh, yeah, you think they're good? Listen to this. You know, now, <laughs> Corey Culver really gets quite to that point on this record. Um, not, yeah. not that it's a an issue. It's just, you know, it's, it's sort of, I think, the distinction between being, uh, you know, really, really good and incredible in terms of an overall uh, song or band. Yeah. I, 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 I agree. I agree. And I'm going to, but I'm also going to be a little bit of a Corey Glover defender here and say that I think the fact that he, like, that his vocals are never a problem and he doesn't get in the way of what's, you know, borderline, you know, pretty layered and busy music is like a, a quality. It's like, it's like, you don't, it's, it's hard to give him credit for it, but I think, I think he deserves credit for never getting in the way of, you know, Doug Wimbish and, and Vernon Reed, you know, I, I think it's, it, it's something to be said. And I, I will also agree with the, the harmonies point. Um, and, and it just, it, it, it's brought to the fore by that there's a couple of riffs on this album, especially, especially like in go away where it's like the boom, boom, boom of the bridge that totally remind me of galactic cowboys. And I think that like makes me like, this is in some ways like a grunge album, just completely straight out of 1993. You know, I, I think there's some down tuning here and there. Um, I saw them on this tour and Vernon Reed had like, you know, 25 pedals. So he's definitely messing around with some different sounds, but, um, 
Yeah, I think uh, I think there was just so much going on that it, it behooved Corey Glover to. I mean, I give him credit for staying out of the way. I saw Corey Glover. Or, I sorry. I sorry. I saw Vernon Reed play solo before low at the Knitting Factory in New York in for CMJ, and it was one of the most bizarre things you'd ever think to see. Is just him just up there just working pedals for an hour, making <laughs> insane noises, and then like, okay, here's low. That's an odd pairing, yeah. It was the most bizarre thing. Yeah. It was just, it was crazy. Um, so let's talk about our overall thoughts on this record. Were the album better EP or decent single? Jay, where do you land revisiting this record after 15 years? For the album, I mean, I was rocking out to this. I, I was cranking it, like I said. And um, really, it's only the... Uh, I think there's a couple of throwaway tracks on the end of the record. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I think you could go from Postman to Wall and maybe cut out one or two and swap the little, this little pig in there and it'd be perfect. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to the album. Okay. Scott, you? Uh, very, very similar to what Jay said, and even down the tracks. I think WTFF is is great. It's one where it starts to get a little too busy. Um, it gets like that, like annoying public enemy siren thing. But that would have been maybe better as a B side, you know, somewhere. I I think it's worthy of release. Just doesn't quite fit. And then I would cut the last. Um, as much as I usually love the layering and effects, I'd cut the last minute and a half off a wall. It doesn't need to do all that, and I'd cut him too. But we're the album. I'm going to defend the public enemy wailing noise because I, I am a fan of public enemy. So uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate that whenever I hear it. Uh, I'm going to agree with you guys. This was a really interesting and cool record, and I'm interested to check out uh, more of the band's records that I missed the first time around uh, when I was only listening to radio singles. So I uh, intend to uh, make uh, amends. And I'm going to start with the new record, Jay, which we're going to cover very briefly for a couple minutes in our Patreon bonus section. So if you'd like to hear me and Jay discuss the new record from Living Color, uh, join us at Patreon. We're going to talk some shade. We're going to throw some shade, Jay, as the kids say. Well done. Thank you. Want to remind everybody, if you like what you heard, Consider leaving us some positive feedback at iTunes. Scott, thanks once again for joining us, taking some time out of your Sunday evening to uh, talk some music and, uh, you know, sticking with us at Patreon for all this time. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Keep up the good work. And I, uh, I fear this may be my children's uh, first podcast appearance. <laughs> yeah. What are the names so we can properly uh, attribute everybody on the uh yeah right uh, yeah. mauer and leaf nice all right we have uh we've officially indoctrinated them into the podcast universe this is their first appearance all right so for jay i'm tim we're out and we'll be back next week with another episode of dig me out thanks for listening to support the podcast visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber or request a review at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com.